I'm glad we have 133 here at least, uh, even though so many are gone because of the 4th of July weekend. And I see a number are gone. Of course, as we already announced, two of our ministers are gone, uh, apparently a number of the brethren as well. Most of you are aware we heard from Mr. Ames about the growth in the work, and I'm very grateful the work is coming along well overall. We're thankful for what God is doing. I did want to ask you again to please pray for the semi-annual letter. Don't quit because the semi-annual letter is still probably just arriving in some of the people's homes way off. It takes two or three weeks for some of them to get it, and then they have to respond back here uh, if they're going to, asking for the DVD, and then the DVD has to be sent back there, and then we have to ask God to move them to respond, you see, to the DVD, and hopefully it will cause many of them, hopefully thousands of them, frankly, because we need it very much, to become donors, co-workers, and members down the line as God moves their minds and hearts to really understand. So as I've said, this particular uh, letter is not better. I didn't write a better letter. I maybe didn't write it as well as I should have. But the particular offer that we are giving is different than any offer we've ever given, telling the brethren all about the church and helping them actually look in on a Feast of Tabernacles because it's a modified version as we've told you, of the feast film. So it should be extremely helpful to them. It may offend some. I've seen it again. My wife and I and son watched it a couple nights ago, and and uh, it could offend some because we got pretty strong in there in certain statements. We've got to think through how much we tell outsiders, but we hope it doesn't. So pray about that, too, that God will not cause to offend anybody because we talked in there early on and then late at, uh, again at the end about how God is reproducing himself, and the world is not used to that. And, of course, they make fun of uh, the Mormons. They call them the God-makers, and uh, they have a book called The God-makers out about the Mormons. And, of course, they think we got that from the Mormons. And digressing again from my other digression, let me say this. I was right there with Mr. Armstrong when he came to that understanding, and I got to know him very, very well. And Mrs. Armstrong told me two or three times, she said, Rod, she said, Herbert could not be a hypocrite because whatever he thinks comes out of his mouth. And that was true. He was very open. I don't want to go further than that, but he would describe his, his uh, personal habits and failings and just all kinds of things that, that could have hurt him for those who didn't understand. I think I've told you just one example during the long three-hour service he would sometimes get tired, so he would say to the song leader, lead two or three songs, I'm going to go back and get a Coke. They had a Coke machine in the back of the college. Now, we were more strict then than we are even now on health foods and not eating white sugar. So the rest, oh, he's getting a Coke, look at him. And he'd go back and get the Coke and then come back after the two or three songs, and then he would burp two or three times. <laughs> He'd say, Brother, I'm sorry, that's that Coca-Cola, you know, and so on. But he was a very hearty man, a very heartfelt, open man, and so on. But he did not learn uh, any of the truth from the Jehovah Witnesses or the Seventh-day Adventists. He did not learn anything about man becoming God from the Mormons. He had a totally different approach, if you know what their approach is. They think that we were out on Kolob, and even literally that, that name, uh, K-O-L-O-B, a planet they've invented in their minds, and that some of them were out there. And then they transmigrate through the earth and have a lot of kids, have a lot of wives they used to, and a lot of kids, and that becomes part of their kingdom. 
they don't have the concept that we have Christ living His life in us through the Spirit and God puts His very nature in us through the Holy Spirit so He begets us, He impregnates us with His nature just like a human father's sperm impregnates the ovum in the wife and that ovum grows and grows and grows so we have to grow and grow to become a full member of the family of God through that overcoming process. They don't understand that any more than Mickey Mouse or Bugs Bunny. They don't understand that at all. We have a totally different approach to that in every way and from every point of view. So it's good to understand that uh, about these things. But anyway, please pray for that letter and ask God to help people not to be offended by anything in that way and ask them, you know, to act on it. God is in charge. And if He wants people to act on that letter and thousands more to become members of the church, Almighty God can do that. And we certainly do want to do our part. Brethren, one thing I started to say a while ago, I think most of you realize, and I hope you're watching world news, prophecy is certainly moving ahead swiftly. Right now, they're beginning to issue IOUs in the state of California. They are more than bankrupt. They're way in debt. And they'll maybe never get totally out of debt, in, in actual fact, during this age. And that's going to spread because California is the eighth largest economy in the world. It's the largest economy in the, in the United States. But even considering other nations like Belgium and France and Luxembourg and Switzerland and so on, it's the eighth largest economy in the entire world. And it's going to have a ripple effect. Other nations are, other states, I mean, are way over uh, burdened with debt and are probably going to go bankrupt. They're printing trillions. Most of you know that, but a lot of you don't study finance that much. They are printing trillions of dollars that is, in effect, monopoly money. That's all it is. It has nothing behind it. They don't have more gold behind it. They used to have so much gold, you know, behind every dollar. It's not they don't have more productivity behind it. Nothing. It's just monopoly money, and it's going to cause our dollar to crash, and it's going to affect this nation powerfully. God said He would break the pride of our power. And as I've explained, the two great uh, pillars of American power, Osama bin Laden did figure that out. One of them was the military power, so he attacked the Pentagon. The other was the financial power. People all over the earth respected our military power and they respected our finances, our wealth, our American way of life based on money. And that has, was attacked by them attacking the World Trade Center. And those two areas of our country are continuing to go down, down, down. And this nation is going down. And most of you know that. So we don't want to want to set dates. But I'm just telling you, you need to prepare to meet God. And a lot of you in the church, and brethren, when I speak to you, I hope you understand I'm not just speaking to you. I know on my mind a lot of people, dozens... And my wife said, I, I apologize for forgetting once in a while, but she says, wow, you can remember people all over the world and all these names and people past I knew in the college and students, and I taught over 2,000 students, so I can remember people and their problems all over the world. So I'm preaching to all you guys out there in Perth, Australia, <clears throat> and, 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 uh, and uh, down in Cape Town, South Africa, and wherever you may be, greetings from, from Charlotte. <laughs> but anyway, we want to preach to all of you and all of God's people. We do need as a church to be the church of God that Almighty God is guiding and using powerfully. And I appreciated Mr. Simone's very fine sermonette because Mr. Armstrong did say again and again and again 
you are really converted to the degree your heart is in God's work because that's the main activity on the earth today. I don't have one scintilla of jealousy or think of feeling I wish I could be like Bill Gates and I don't want to be like Warren Buffett. I kidded my wife a couple of years ago when I was still 77. Warren Buffett, you know, is the second uh, richest man, at least in the United States. And he's the same age I am. I'm about two months older. I said, Cheryl, you married the wrong 77-year-old, you know, because <laughs> I don't have very much money. And Warren Buffett, Buffett could buy and sell me a million times over, literally. But at any rate, I don't envy him one second. He had a very bad early life with his... Uh, uh, lady he was living with and married her finally and and other things have gone wrong and, and I would want to be like him anyway I have the most exciting job on earth and along with Mr. Ames and Dr. Renale and our team we are doing the most important work on earth we are involved in helping man achieve the ultimate human potential to become members of the God family the very purpose which we're drawing breath but this age is coming to a close it really is, and I hope you get the picture because each of us needs to be ready, and I hope that you understand that. I always remember how some people just assume they're going to live on until they're 70 or 80 or 90, and brethren, you may not. My dear friend, and he was a dear friend, Richard David Armstrong died at age 29. He was 29 years old when that auto crash killed him. Later, my friend Benjamin Ray, who was head of the Spanish department, for at that time, and later the dean of Ambassador College in Brickett Wood, I named my older son Michael Ray after Dr. Ray, R-E-A. In the Spanish language, Ray means king, as a lot of you know, royal, Ray, all. Anyway, Dr. Ray died at about age 45. And then more recently, we've had wonderful men die. One of them, uh, Mr. John O'Gwen, died at only age 56. And that shook us. That shook us. How, how come everyone doesn't live to be 70 or 80? We wish they would. And we have some men like myself and Mr. Apartheid and others who have lent on to live 79 or almost 91 in Mr. Apartheid's case or others, and God is still letting us uh, carry on. And as I've said, if one of us dies, don't one single one of you even think about leaving. This work of God is not about us. It's about God and we're already past the three score and ten. Already. We're already living on borrowed time. So, but we need to get our hearts in God's work as Mr. De Simone lived. But brethren, God is now preparing a ruling family that is a group of individuals called out ones whom he can really trust to help rule this earth under Jesus Christ and perhaps eventually the whole universe. We don't know that latter, but that may be indicated in certain statements in the Bible. These are the real Christians, the real Christians. These are the conquered Christians. In the world, you have all kinds of people calling themselves Christians, the Roman Catholics who go through these rituals and the Orthodox, Greek and Russian Orthodox and other Orthodox, and you have the mainstream Protestants, and then you have the old-fashioned fundamentalist Protestants who disagree with the mainstream, and then you have the Pentecostals who like to hoop and holler and have fun. And you have all kinds of people calling themselves Christians. They're not evil people necessarily, and more evil than anyone else. I used to be one. Most of you used to be one. God just hasn't called them yet. But they all call themselves Christians. But we're talking about real Christians and not just people in our church, but conquered Christians. 
Mr. Herbert Armstrong, a number of times at the end of his life, said, I don't think more than one-tenth of you people are really converted, really conquered by God. Frankly, for years he said one-half, but the last year or two he said one-tenth. And I heard him, and Mr. Apartin is not here, but he and I have talked, and he heard that. Did you hear that too, Mr. Ames, that one-tenth? So there are a number of us witnesses who heard him say that, and I heard him say that several times. And he was right. Only about one-tenth or less of all that 150,000 people attending at the peak were probably really converted because thousands of them just fell right away. They just fell right away like they never understood the truth at all. That's amazing in a sense, but that is what happened. And he described a conquered Christian as one who really believed the Bible really believe the Bible. That's where you have to start. Think about that. Have you proved to yourself there is a real God, a personal creative, uh, creator who gave you life and breath and that He inspired this book and this book is inspired by God and you're to live by every word of this book. That's the starting point. And then you have to make a total surrender to really surrender to really do what God says and not play games anymore, not water things down anymore. You say, you never make a mistake. No, I make mistakes every day. I, I sometimes have vanity, jealousy, lust, or greed, or wrong thoughts, or this or that, or sometimes say something unpleasant to my wife or others around me or do things that are selfish and wrong. But I don't deliberately break the Sabbath. I don't deliberately, obviously, kill or steal or commit adultery or do anything like that. And I bet you better not to. We do not lie. Christians do not lie. And yet lots of Christians are living a lie because they just attend church and then they water things down on the way they live and kind of go on with the way they've been living all the time. Think about it. We're nearing the end of an age. We can't play games with God. We're not here to play church. We're to let God fashion and mold us to use us as those divine spirit beings in the government of God, the kingdom of God that's to be set up on this earth. And we should really try to be ready. So think about the thousands of our brethren who left the church. That's astonishing. They'd known the truth. The vast majority had really known and even understood the truth to a degree at least. God is their judge. I'm not. But they had known about it at any rate. They, they attended the Sabbath. They attended the holy days. And they fell away. That's astonishing when you think about it. So anyway, and they went off into the greatest apostasy in modern time. How could that be? You could say, well, that's just because maybe Armstrong didn't have the truth and these people, uh, you know, didn't uh, understand and we didn't really have, we weren't the true church of God. Some sarcastic people might think that. Well, turn to 1 John, if you would. Uh, I'm sorry, 3rd of John, the 3rd epistle of John. And here's something that you need to think about. In 3rd John, the last letter John wrote, who was the last remaining apostle that Christ taught directly, he said to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Notice the word truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth. Truth. As just as your soul, excuse me, that is in you just as you walk in the truth. Number three, truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Four times, this tiny little letter. So think about that, brethren. 
Why didn't Paul, why didn't John talk about the church? Because the church was already coming apart. The church was already succumbing to the apostasy that was taking over. So he had to focus their mind on what is the true church. The church is composed of those conquered individuals who are conquered by God. They've totally surrendered to God. And they're filled with and led by God's Spirit to live by every word of God. And Jesus said, Thy word is truth. John 17, 17. The truth is the way of God. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love to the church. If you send them forward in a godly manner, uh, you will do well. Because they went forth for his namesake. These evangelists and teachers went out over the Roman Empire, backed by the church, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for what? The church? Yes, but the word he uses is truth. Fellow workers for the truth. I wrote the, to the church. You see, there was a church, but it was being taken over by the apostates just like the worldwide church was taken over by men who apostatized and completely left the truth of God. Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. This false minister rose up and opposed uh, John, even as Joe DeCotch rose up and opposed virtually everything that Mr. Armstrong taught and tried to trash it. And men who worked on the Ambassador College grounds uh, who later worked for my son Jim out there in his construction business and others I've talked to, they literally moved everything, every single vestige of anything that would remind anyone of Mr. Armstrong almost. They wanted to get rid of the footprints of the original four students and Mr. Armstrong's footprints. They got rid of little special paintings and special this and that all through the campus. They wanted to get rid of it. Just stamp out everything that man did for God. And that's the attitude some people have. Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. This false teacher, who was there right with John. You could say, well, they, they didn't have the truth back then. Well, you better believe they did. John was God's apostle. John was Jesus' favorite friend, in a sense, among the apostles, as you know. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren. See, just like some of them begin to put out some of you and they put me out. And the reason they kicked me out of Big Sandy is the deputy chancellor right in the middle of the autumn semester of 1989, four or five of them admitted it. They, they, at least I'm glad they did. They later said, well, you know, your administration was fine. It's just that you were hanging on to the old way and you would not go along with the changes. And that's the expression, I would not go along with the changes. You better believe I did not go along with those changes. And I will not. I will not. And most of you would not either. You wouldn't be here. We would not go into apostasy. And so they said, this man does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to putting them out of the church. He disfellowshipped the true Christians. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. And by the way, nearly all the way through John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, they have the uh, present uh, participle here in all these places. It doesn't mean 
uh, he who does evil has not seen God. I have done evil. Have I never, you know, it's talking about the fact that it practices. The word practice is used in the Williams translation and others in a lot of these places. He who continues to do evil, he who sins, you see, does not know God. Well, we've all sinned. And then the other part of 1 John explains that too. So he who practices sin, if you keep on breaking God's commandments, if you keep on, you know, if you slip and get drunk once or you slip once and break the Sabbath pretty badly, you slip, God will forgive that if you didn't mean to and you repent. But if you practice that as a way of life, that is what is really bad. Demetrius has a a good testimony from all and from the truth. You see, again, the word truth itself. And we also bear witness, and you know that our witness is true. So he says, truth, truth, truth. You've got to be where the truth is, brethren. And we are trying to hang on to that truth And we're trying to hang on to the overall way of life and the truth of God that was taught us through Mr. Armstrong. And as I've said, we don't worship him. He made mistakes. And we talk about those mistakes. I don't try to get up and preach about it because I love him and I honor him. But he made mistakes. And we're to grow in grace and in knowledge. And if he were here, he would say, well, of course, Rod, I told you to keep on growing. That was his attitude. But at any rate... uh, we do want the truth and we're going to have to follow that because if we don't we're going to be judged by God so remember that many of the brethren back then even under the apostle John churches and people that John had taught fell away they fell away so quickly when this great apostasy came so it's not something that just happens today it happened back then too Let's think about it. First Peter, if you turn there at this point. First Peter and chapter 4. Turn to First Peter and chapter 4. And let's begin here in a key area that we are going to be entering here. Some things are going to happen to us as we grow. And the world hates us. It hates the truth. First Peter 4.12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. Please, brethren, if they start persecuting us, they're going to call us everything they could think of. Every bad name, liars, scoundrels, apostates, uh, and, and try to dig in and put a twist, and they will lie, they will exaggerate, they will shift. And so if you think that Mr. Ames and Dr. Winnale and I and the rest of us are a bunch of crooks, please start checking up. I want you to. I want you to. Start checking up on us. I have a 60-year record coming up in a couple of months at least because I came to Ambassador College 60 years ago this autumn. And thousands of people have known me, frankly, tens of thousands through my articles and my sermons and with the feast and been with me. And like Mr. Armstrong, I'm a pretty open person too. I talk too much sometimes. And, and, uh, but anyway, as, as we get bigger, we're going to be persecuted. Do not think it's strange concerning the fiery trial we're going to be persecuted something awful as though some strange thing happened. But remember, just the other day, as uh, most of you heard in the news last night or saw on television, Sarah Palin resigned right in the middle of her term, which is a terrible move, you'd normally think, as governor of Alaska because she was being made fun of, her daughter was being made fun of, her grandchild was being made fun of, the whole family was being harassed and harassed and harassed. She said, I've had enough. 
and they're going to come after us that way. Well, I've, I've got to be ready for that. I've told my wife, be ready for that. They'll catch a picture of Mr. Ames or me, and it'll be like this. <laughs> you know how they do. If the media wants to get you, they can get you, believe me. But don't, don't be upset as though some strange thing happened. That's happened to all of God's servants. But if you think there's some big thing that we're covering up, you check us up backward, forward, sideways. I don't care how you do it. I have nothing to hide. I mean it, nothing. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you reproach for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part He is blasphemed, but on your part He is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer. No, don't really do something you ought to be persecuted for, prosecuted, a thief, an evildoer, busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, a Christian, and brethren, what kind of Christian are you? What kind of Christian am I? That's my topic today. Are you a conquered Christian? Are you personally a conquered Christian? Ask that question. Are you ready to go through trials like this? Are you ready to give your life unconditionally to God and really mean it? So if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come, yes, brethren, more than ever now as these things begin to unfold and as California goes bust and as the water situation out there and all through the southwest gets worse and they start rationing water, then they're going to be rationing food and all this kind of thing is going to happen over the next five or seven years, perhaps beginning just in the next two or three years. It's speeding up, brethren. Understand, your way of life is already changing and it is going to change drastically within the next five to seven years. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. God is going to test us. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and sinner appear? Think about that, brethren. If the righteous one is scarcely saved, I don't want to frighten you. You certainly can make it if your heart is right. But if you play games with God, if you pretend to come to church and yet you're drinking heavily and you're a drunkard on the side, if you come to church and pretend to be a church member and you're lying and you're deceiving people, you're lying about others and watering things down and hurting people, if you pretend to be a Christian, you know, and you're, you're stealing God's tithe, then you're not tithing at all and you're trying to give the least rather than the most, and your heart's not really in God's work, the way Mr. DeSimone spoke. And by the way, when these men get up and give sermons or sermonettes, we don't tell them what to speak. I'd like all of you older brethren to know that, all your brethren around the world. I was only told what to speak once or twice in my entire, well, 36 years of the ministry, or 34, however it was, when Mr. Armstrong was there. Just once or twice he assigned a topic in all those years. The rest of the time I just spoke on what I felt God's people needed. And uh, I know Mr. Ames, of course, knows that. I never tell him what to say. Mr. Carl McNair, you gave sermons all over the world, and I don't think he ever had any... Did I ever have a sermon topic? I might have once for some reason, but I don't think I ever did. Uh, the men just choose what they feel would be helpful to God's people. We don't tell them to say these things. They have God's Spirit in them. That's why they say these things. But anyway... 
the time has come that the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and sinner appear? People who play games with God. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. In other words, you're to give your life to God. You're to say, God, my life, my time, my talents, my energy, my resources, everything I have is yours. Everything. And you don't hold back anything. That's the attitude of a real conquered Christian, frankly. And that doesn't mean the church comes along and tells you, you know, like the joke about the government, uh, the IRS guy, uh, how much was your income last year? You know, send it in. <laughs> send it all in. Well, no one says that at the church, but we do tell you to give generously according to your means. And God wants you to do that. And God also wants you to give up your time, your energy, your talents. And he wants to know, do you, are you really with the program? Are you trying to prepare for the kingdom of God and do all that you can with what you have, whatever it is, to help prepare for God's kingdom and help be part of the very team that Christ is using? He's watching each of us in that way. Uh, notice, again, how quickly it is and how easy for people to fall away. Turn back to Revelation, if you would. Revelation uh, uh, chapter 20 now. Revelation chapter 20 and uh, turn to uh, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Here he's talking about the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So we know that's the millennium. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and he will go out to deceive the nations that are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, apparently primarily those people. It doesn't say they're the only people. And uh, gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. Millions and millions of them. When is this, brethren? People have never understood? No. These are people that lived all during the thousand-year period or they're part of the thousand-year period. They were taught by Christ. They were taught by Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Moses and all of us in the New Testament church of God. They experienced the whole way of life. And what did they do? Satan is led out there to stir up their vanity, to stir up their self-will. I want what I want and I'm going to get it the way I want it. And boy, they go right off. That's scary. As the sand of the sea, they went off. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints, this great Gentile army, and, and the beloved city, Jerusalem. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Millions of human beings rebelling at the very end of God's government for 1,000 years. Can it happen to you? Of course. It, can it happen to me? Of course. Any one of us can get bitter. Any one of us can turn aside and we want to really understand that and fear that and not want that at all under any circumstances. Turn to Romans chapter 8 now, if you would, brethren. Romans at this point and turn to chapter 8. And here's a key thing that we read you from time to time, but let's understand it in this context. Romans chapter 8. I'd like to read it all. I love this chapter, but let's just turn to verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, 
In other words, the normal way of life. It doesn't say you're unusually evil. You don't have to be an Adolf Hitler or somebody. If you just live according to the flesh, you're lying a little and cheating a little and watering things down a little, drinking too much and cussing once in a while and, and so whatever it is. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, by God's Holy Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you know, vanity, jealousy, lust, and greed, fornication, adultery, drunkenness, hate, murder, all those things, you will live for as many, verse 14, notice, as many as are led by the Spirit of God. These are the sons of God, not those who just got it at baptism. And, of course, as I've told you so many times, we have baptized, I feel, frankly, hundreds and hundreds of people in the church, probably thousands, who were no more converted than Bugs Bunny. In the Ambassador College, we used to have kids come, and their parents had them come to college, and they met well. They weren't just lying, but it was kind of expected, you know, that you'd get baptized by your second or third year, and it was sort of an atmosphere. Well, if you're going to date these girls that are baptized, then you should be baptized, or the girls was to be baptized to date the boys, and if you're going to be an Ambassador Club president, you, you, that was part of the game, you know. You're supposed to go that way of life. So thousands of them just got dunked in the water. I could start giving you a bunch of names. Even some I baptized, you just fell right away. Even before the great apostasy, they did not understand. Because you've been dunked in the water does not mean you're converted. Please understand that. Please understand that, brethren. You need to be really converted. You need to examine yourself, as God tells us every year, and every year especially before the Passover. Did you really repent? Did you really surrender to God? Do you have His Spirit? Have you changed? Mr. Armstrong talked about a young man who was had this problem and just went on and on. And he says, uh, George is not converted because George has not changed. And convert means change. The man's name was not George, by the way. He's talking about someone else. But he says convert means change. And he has not changed. And that's true. You have to think about it. Have you really changed? So as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And I want the rest of you and some of you young people, some look around and say, well, how you got these people in the church and they make these mistakes? Well, of course they do. I had to figure that out about 55 or 57 years ago in the early years of my conversion. And I saw people that were doing bad things. But I began to realize, well, they're here you know, like they say, we're here because we're here because we're here. <laughs> but they weren't converted. And uh, I learned that over a period of time that we loved them. We didn't try to kick them out just because they were carnal. I used to tell my first wife, Margie, well, I don't think this person is really converted at all. And I'm sure she could tell you, or Cheryl, I've said about, I didn't, don't do it as much, but we got to know back then people over a period of decades, they were just obviously not converted at all, even some who were ministers just filled with vanity, jealousy, lust, and greed. And you could sense they weren't converted at all, even though they were an ambassador club president or, or a student body president or a minister or whatever. They were not converted any more than, you know, Bugs Bunny, as I say, or whatever. So you have to understand those that are led by God's Spirit. That's the key, brethren, and a very important thing to understand. Now turn with me, if you would, to Revelation uh no, we've already gone over Revelation 20. I want to have you consider one key point here, very, very important part of this whole thing of are you a conquered 
Are you a conquered, a fully converted Christian? Turn with me, if you would, back to Proverbs. Turn back to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. It says, The fear of Yahweh, as it is in the Hebrew, the fear of the eternal, the fear of the Lord, they translate it, but capital L-O-R-D means Yahweh, means the ever-living one, the great God who gives us life and breath. The fear of the eternal is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. They often are foolish. They don't even want to listen. They try to turn their heart away and they won't come to church or they'll spend most of the time back in the restroom or off here or there and you can sort of sense they're not trying to be taught by God. They don't want to be taught by God because, of course, the truth bothers them. It makes them feel guilty, so they try to avoid it. But the fear, that deep awe of God, understand what that fear is. That fear is not fear of a monster. I don't fear God as a monster, but in my heart and mind, I have proved to myself, and I'm not as good as a number of these other men and women here, I'm sure, but I'm just saying in my part so you understand. I know and I know that I know there is a personal living God. I've seen Him change people's lives. I've seen these people heal personally that I've talked about. I've seen God intervene in massive ways, huge ways in world affairs, just exactly like God's church predicted over and over. I know there is that real God. In Him we live and move and have our being. So I don't go around saying, Oh, God's going to get me. I can see He is a loving Father. But God rebukes and chastens every son He loves. I've seen that too. And so I have the awe of God and I know that I must never, 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 ever deliberately sin if I want to be in God's kingdom. And I've had many powerful temptations to do that. And I'm sure Mr. Ames has and, and Mr. Crockett and Mr. Aparting and Mr. Rodman there. I don't want to name just one or two of us all the time. I had these things. But in my 60 years, I remember writing my first pastorate up in Portland, Oregon. Why, I was single. I was frustrated. I had plenty of hormones, believe it or not. I was just 23 years old, actually 22 and a half. And I was living alone up there, and there were no girls I could date or anything. And I went over to anoint this woman who was a divorced woman. And, uh, and uh, she asked me to come over. It never occurred to me. We, 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 used, we didn't used to have the rule that you had to have another man with you. I just went over there alone. And so we knelt down. She said, well, let's come in here. And she brought me into her bedroom. Well, I thought, well, I don't know. So I went in there, and we knelt down to the bed. And when... We got up from kneeling. Well, then she was mainly open here and and, uh, and kind of leaned toward me like she was about to hug me. And I said, well, i got to get out of here. And I walked very swiftly toward the door because I knew what was up. And even as I was walking out, I had a great wave of sort of a temptation come over me. But I thought, keep walking, Rod, keep walking. <laughs> and I've had many things like that happen through the years. It's not that I didn't have the temptation I had, what do you call it? The fear of God. I, didn't want, I do not want to be in the lake of fire. I do not want to be in the great tribulation. I do not want to be out of God's kingdom. I want to fulfill the purpose of human existence. So even though I've never been a handsome Hollywood-type individual, I've had women push themselves at me. And I know Mr. Crockett has often mentioned power is the great aphrodisiac. And uh, sometimes if a man has power, even though he's not uh, handsome or whatever, women, you know, they're kind of attracted because of that power. Of course,
course, we don't have very much power, but some people in the church think there's power and so on. We're, we're very weak human beings. But you have to just understand, brethren, all of us are tempted, but you've got to keep moving, get away from it as fast as you can, as hard as you, because, not because you're goody-good. I'm not goody-good because I thought about that at various times and was bothered by it because I wasn't good, these evil thoughts. But I thought, no, I did the right thing. I did the right thing. I got out of there. And one thing that helped me get out of there was because the kind of an example Dr. Herman Hay said, he was just Herman Hay, he wasn't even graduated, but in my very second year, or maybe it was the first year of Ambassador College, why uh, Dick Armstrong had, he was the only one that had a car because, of course, his dad was there and helped him, and he was also working in the radio studio and spent hours and hours. It took him more time to graduate because he had to spend about 50 or 60 hours dubbing the tapes. They just had the radio tapes and sent all over so he could afford a car. But he took Herman Hay and me and Raymond Cole uh, down to... Uh, we went through Tijuana and then on beyond Tijuana, which is just south of the San Diego border, and on down to Ensenada. Tijuana is normally regarded as yeah, a pretty bad place, and Ensenada was supposed to be a little better. But we stayed down there in Ensenada, and uh, so the next morning early, why Herman Hay grew up on this chicken farm in Northern California, and he was a farm boy, and he got right up at the right up with the birds as we say and the rest of us didn't we stayed on and as we were getting up Herman came running back into the house our our room I should say our little suite or whatever we had and I said what's wrong Herman he said I was out walking and and uh, and he told how he was propositioned by these prostitutes he said the Bible says flee fornication so he literally fled he ran almost you could tell he was puffing and panting he ran back to us and uh, so on. Well, we could laugh about that, but that's better than going the other way, if you see what I mean. And he did do that. I've always thought of that, and that's a good example to me. But at any rate, you've got to have that attitude. You know God is there. You must not play games with God. You must not. Never, 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 ever willingly commit adultery or fornication or lie or steal or cheat or get drunk, or, or anything like this. Just don't do it. Fear that great God. Will you slip and maybe do some of it in your mind? Yes, I have. All of us have. Where we're weak and we think wrong thoughts, or we, we hate somebody, which is a spirit of murder. We get mad for a while, and then we get over it, or whatever it is. But you'd better get over it, and you'd better repent. You better not let it you know, go entertain wicked thoughts in your mind or you got mad at this, mad at this guy, mad at this guy. Well, eventually you'll want to kill him if you keep entertaining those thoughts. That's the spirit of murder. You can't do that. I cannot afford to do that. I want to be in God's kingdom. I can't play games with God. You've got to have the fear of God. That's the beginning of knowledge and the beginning of understanding and the beginning of wisdom. Back all, it's called all those things back here in... Uh, Proverbs chapter 9, if you would turn back there, Proverbs 9, and uh, in verse 10, it says, The fear of the eternal is the beginning of wisdom. In chapter 1, it says knowledge. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years of life will be added to you. If you're wise, you're wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you alone will bear it. Don't be a scoffer. 
Don't try to scoff at God's church because of mistakes that are made. That's going to come back on you because eventually it's going to mean you're scoffing at God himself and what God is doing through human beings. And that's not right either. So each of us has to be responsible to the Creator and have the fear of God. How quickly some people fall away, though. I used to feel, and many of us felt, that the ch uh, church and the work in the college at Brickett Wood in England was more righteous than the one in Pasadena and Big Sandy. That's the one Mr. Armstrong spent the most time at because he loved it over there and uh, so on and preached there quite a bit once it got started. And because the English people uh, and the Scots and others, but especially the English, were more uh, conservative, it seemed more like they were more dedicated because they were more conservative. But it was a big eye-opener to me because I was deputy chancellor over there for a couple of years. And right at near the end of that time, the college closed. And I could start naming names, which I should not do. <laughs> but the head of the letter-answering department, the head of the mailing department, the college physician, and, 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 no job, no church. No job, we fall away. No paycheck, bye-bye. No money from the church. Bye-bye. Do you understand? They fell right away. Amazing. We thought they were deeply converted people, but they weren't any more converted than the people at Pasadena or Big Sandy. So you have to think about that. What's it going to take you to fall away? And how deeply converted are you? How fully conquered by God are you? Will you take correction? You've heard some of our other ministers say how I've often used that as a benchmark because Mr. Armstrong did too, and I've seen that. A person who will not take correction is probably not converted. He's just probably not converted. But it's not for us to decide that. It's to God, but we have to watch, and those of us who are in responsible positions may need to ascertain that before we hire someone, you know, ordain someone, of course, and decide whether they're really converted or how converted they are, how trustworthy are they. Do they have the fear of God? Do you remember back in the book of Genesis? I'm sorry I didn't put all these scriptures in, but there's one example of either Abraham or Isaac coming to this place, and and uh, this king was uh, going to take his wife or whatever, and he said, how come how come you uh, didn't tell? He said, she's your sister. And he said, Fred, I was afraid you'd kill me for her because I was afraid you did not have the fear of God. You remember that? I was afraid that the fear of God was not in this place. So you need to ask yourself, is the fear of God in this place? Is the fear of God in you to where you have the great awe of the magnificent creator of the heavens and the earth so that you will never turn aside, you will never water things down, you will not lie, you will not cheat, you will not commit adultery, you will not do any of those things because of the fear of God, the awe of God. It keeps you from playing games. It keeps you from watering things down if you have that awe of God, that godly fear, the right kind of fear. So please understand. Turn back now to uh, 1 Corinthians, if you would, in your New Testament. This is 1 Corinthians, and uh, I'm going to be reading here in 1 Corinthians 6, and beginning in verse 9. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, people in the church, 
Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? They won't even be there. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, those who have sex outside of marriage. So many of you can say, well, I had fornication back when I was a kid. Well, that wasn't good. That was bad because that takes the edge off your marriage. And if you do that very much, it's going to be harder to be faithful to one person the rest of your life. But if that comes to you and you didn't mean to, what do you do? You really genuinely repent. And that means you get down before God on your knees and say, Father in heaven, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. That was wrong. That was awful. I don't make any excuses like King David did. Read Psalm 51. Just read Psalm 51. Before you, you only have a sin and done this evil in your sight that you may be clear when you judge. I'm not worthy of anything, God. He told God, don't make excuses. Really repent. And repent means to be terribly sorry and so sorry that you turn around and go the other way. Fornicators will not be in the kingdom, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals. They're trying to make all the excuses for all these perverts. Homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous. People just lusting after more and more. That's a sin too nor drunkards, people that get drunk, nor revilers, people that revile, you know, the authorities or revile those in God's church and so on. Well, we don't like this ministry because the session says, ah, yeah, 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 against God, God's servants. You read what happened to people like that back in the Old Testament. He caused the earth to swallow them up on a couple of occasions. God does not appreciate revilers. And so think about that. Nor extortioners trying to force people by uh, getting by getting money from them. None of them will inherit the kingdom of God. They just won't be there. He says in verse 18, which I referred to a little earlier, flee immorality, or as the King James has, fornication. And the old, uh, the original Greek is porneia, which normally is translated fornication. Flee fornication. If you are a young unmarried person, and your boyfriend, let's say, as you're a girl, invites you to come to her house or her bedroom or to do this or that, do you do that? No, don't be there. Don't put yourself in a compromised position. Don't go there. Don't get as close to the edge of the cliff as you can get and say, well, I'm strong, I won't fall off. Well, you probably will fall off. That's the problem. The chances are you will eventually if you keep doing it. Don't do that. We have a little joke that some of our ministers have been extra strict, like they, you're not even to kiss your wife before you marry her. Well, I, I've kissed uh, my wives before I married them and would do it again. I'm evil. <laughs> but it'd be better not to kiss and kiss and kiss and kiss because that arouses sexual lust, and that's not good either, you see. Even if you're going to marry someone, I tell young couples I'm counseling about marriage, and I've said this often, Remember, John and Mary, or whatever their name is, remember, you're not married till you're married, okay? <laughs> you're not married till you're married. So don't start taking, you know, advantage. Flee. Turn like Dr. Hay. Just get clear away from the situation. Every sin a man does outside is outside the body. You're out stealing or killing someone or hurting someone with your fist or a rock or something. But he who commits immorality or fornication, as it is, sins against his own body. In a unique manner, 
And it is a unique manner. You are taking your body, your heart, your psyche when you join yourself to another human being and it does affect you in a different way. Part of your, when a woman gives herself to a man, it's going to hurt her the rest of her life. She can't ever be as clean and wholesome as she would have been because she, even more than the man, is often involved emotionally in that. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Your body belongs to God. If you're a Christian, it does not belong to your. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. You do not belong to yourself. My money does not belong to me. My car does not belong to me. My house does not belong to me. My body does not belong to me. My arm does not belong to me. As I've said, my life does not belong to me. And if God chooses to take my life now at age 79, I've got to say, God, it's your life. It's not my life. I just want to do the best I can while I'm here. But you've got to learn to have that attitude. All of us do. I need more. You need more. All of us need more of that. But we've got to have that attitude, brethren. Please don't play games with God. I can't help you if I water these things down. You've got to have that attitude and follow through and do the best you can while you're here. So you, the Holy Spirit is in you, who, which you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Christ, the very Son of God, the Creator, who said, Let there be light, and there was light, and God created all things through Jesus Christ, as the Bible tells us several times. Christ is the Creator. He paid for you. So therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, your attitude, the way your mind works, your whole attitude to the way you approach everything, the way you process your thoughts. Glorify God in your spirit, which are God's. So glorify God in your body too. Don't take your body and make your bodies members of a harlot or some cheap woman or some cheap man or take your body and hurt, it, hurt others with it and trying to kill others or let your mind be down in those ways. Try to be conquered by God so you can be there. God is creating a spirit family and you should pray every day in a sense, Father, please help me to be worthy to be your full son to be members, a part of your kingdom, a part of your government, a part of your actual family, to interact with you, to walk with you, talk with you, share with you back and forth throughout all eternity. God wants that kind of person. He's not going to let people in there. He knows our thoughts. He knows exactly what is going through our minds. You know, the Bible says that so many times. So we can't fool God. Why fool ourselves? Why would you fool yourself in watering things down? It won't help you. I can't help you by watering it down. Back in Genesis 22, he expresses here the attitude he wants because here is a situation where he is in the process of choosing the father of the faithful. This was one of the final tests and perhaps the supreme test, the supreme test that qualified Abraham to be the father of us all. As you know, God honors Moses and David, but Abraham will apparently have an even higher position in the kingdom of God throughout all eternity. And here's one reason why, this attitude. Genesis 22, 
Now it came to pass, verse 1, after these things that God tested Abraham. God was testing this man before that awesome responsibility and said, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Now God knew Abraham's heart. A lot of modern men don't love their children. They just take them for granted. But back then, they seemed to have had a closer, tight family. And Abraham apparently had a great deal of love. He'd waited on this child. He'd prayed for this child. He finally was willing to let Ishmael be the one that carried on. But he knew Ishmael was not by his real wife and was partly Gentile. And here was a, a son now from his real wife, Sarah, that God gave him supernaturally. Gave him this to be the heir of the whole world eventually. And he knew that. He said, take your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, of which I'll tell you. So what did Abraham do? Well, God, you know how it is, and blah, blah, blah. Abraham did not do anything like that. The whole indication is he was so converted. I can't say he said this the next second. Maybe he thought for a few minutes or something and processed it. But very, very quickly he said, yes, Lord, and in his heart, he knew God would make it work out for good. And back in, in Hebrews 11, you read the whole chapter there, and it says, which is God speaking through the writer of Hebrews, that Abraham knew God was able to raise him from the dead. Abraham was thinking that thought, too. If I take his life and do what God says, God is able to raise him from the dead. But in any case, he didn't know he would raise him from the dead right then. And in a sense, he said, yes, Lord... And he rose early. He didn't wait. He didn't say, give me seven days to think about this. He rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood, arose, and went to the place of which God told him. So it was amazing. Took this child, his favorite son, his only legitimate son, and then in verse 9, he bound Isaac. He had Isaac carry the wood. So Isaac was already a young man. He carried the wood, this big pile of wood, and then he bound him. Isaac must have been, a, he was a type of Christ, must have been extremely loyal. Says, yes, Father, and let Abraham tie him up. And he laid him up on this pier of this uh, pile of wood up on the altar. And right then, as he took a knife to slay his son, verse 10, a voice came, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad, nor do anything to him. What's the answer? What's the reason? For now I know. And brethren, God was testing. God had to be sure if he was going to let this man be the heir of the whole world under Jesus Christ, he had to know that here's a man who totally feared God, had the awe of God, the tremendous awe and profound respect to know that God was right no matter what. Now I know that you fear. Do you have the fear of God? Are you a totally conquered Christian with the fear of God? Now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And then later he said in verse 17, In blessing I will bless you, and in multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is among the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. All over the earth they would possess the Suez Canal, the Panama Canal, the Strait of Malacca, the Simonson's Base controlling South Africa. They would control 
of course, the Maldives or the Falkland Islands controlling the tip of South America. They would control, you know, at that time, Britain controlled earlier, the Strait of Hormuz, through which 70% of the Middle East oil passes, and all these other tremendous sea gates, the Strait of Gibraltar, all over the earth. I'll give you this great, greatest single nation on earth and the greatest empire, the greatest common wealth or company of nations, as you know, we explain ever in human history because of what you've done in obeying me. They will be your descendants. And so he blessed him powerfully because you have obeyed my voice. Verse 18. Yes, he feared God. He had that awe of God. And so God blessed him magnificently, but he had to have the fear of God and act on that fear to do what God said regardless you have to obey God even when it's not fun. And Abraham did. And all of us have got to do that, brethren. I remember back in uh, January of 19, uh, January and February of 1957. Uh, uh, and some of you know Mr. James Wells. He's our longtime wonderful elder in Kansas City. And he was in that little campaign. And he and Robin Jones, who became the leading minister and the uh, senior minister, at least, in terms of service, very outstanding minister in Great Britain and worldwide. They both came in through that campaign. But we had a little couple, I think their name was Brown, Scottish couple, and they were down in London, and he was the head baker in this very famous hotel and had a very good job because this was the hotel, trying to think of the name of it now, but it make a difference where the royalty stayed. And uh, it was not the Dorchester where Mr. Armstrong stayed or the... Uh, but anyway, they, he had this job there. And they came night after night for almost a whole four weeks, four weeks, five nights a week, 20 sermons in a row. And then on Wednesday of the four, fourth week, I preached on the Sabbath. And then the next little couple came the next night and then I had an appeal to action. And then they dropped away. And later I talked to them and found where they were and he told me about his job. And he said, well, I just have this job and I can't. And every time after the meetings, they said, oh, you, we love the Lord. I should have given him that background. We just love the Lord so much and we'll do anything the Bible says, all this gushy Protestant stuff. But when it came down to the test point, no, they dropped away. So what is your breaking point? What will stop you from being in God's kingdom? You have to ask yourself, how much do you fear God? Would God have let him keep his job anyway? Perhaps he would. Would God have given him another job? I know he'd have done one of those things. He never lets his people starve if they really serve him. Never, never, ever. But it was a test. And they failed that test because they felt they had to have their job and not do what God said. So let's understand. Turn back to Revelation now, if you would, brethren, chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. And I'm going to begin reading here in the 20th chapter of Revelation and verse 7. Verse 7, and uh, going on past it here. No, I'm sorry, that was a, that was a previous uh, thing that I had. Revelation 21. <laughs> I had Revelation 20 earlier. Revelation 21, verse 7. God says... The, through the Apostle John, he who overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be his God 
and he shall be my son. He who overcomes, you've got to overcome yourself, overcome the world, all these pulls and distractions of this society. It overcomes Satan, the devil, who get at you and try to deceive you and get you bitter and turn you aside in so many different ways. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, think about that. Interesting how God puts that right up there. People are afraid. They're afraid of this society. They're afraid they're going to lose their jobs. They're afraid of what will other people think. They won't let me stay in my uh, Masonic temple. They won't let me stay in the woman's club or the special man's club or whatever it is. The cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, and it goes on, murderers, sexually immoral, those who are fornicators and adulterers and queers, sorcerers into, into various forms of uh, horoscopes and fortune tellers and dealings with spirits, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. That's a pretty important point to God. No, you're to love God with all your heart and your neighbors yourself. You're to honor your father. You're not to kill or steal or commit adultery, but you're also not to lie because, brethren, many people live a lie. They water things down and they twist things to make it seem like they're right and the other people are wrong. And they're living a lie when they do that and they're not going to be in God's kingdom at all. They just won't be there. So you have to understand that all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death. That will be the second death for those who will not repent of lying and, and changing and shifting things around and so forth as people often do in this society. So understand, turn now if you would to Hebrews chapter 10, if you would, brethren, Hebrews chapter 10, and uh, I'm going to begin reading in verse 23. Hebrews 10. He said to the brethren, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Don't give up and quit. For he who promised is faithful. He's going to take care of you if you do your part. Yes, you can make it. God will never leave you nor forsake you. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. That's one reason you're to be in church. You're to be taught. You're to take correction. You're to ask for it. You're to open your heart, open your mind for it and learn from it. Act on it. Stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Don't stay away from where you can be taught the very meaning of life and the way of God, as is the manner of some. Some try to drop away from the church and say, well, I'll just worship God alone, but exhorting one another. And that's what we do here to exhort you, stir you, inspire you, move you to have the fear of God and to walk with God exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching that's why i started out that day is coming and he talks about that day that day that day all the way through the bible the day of christ's return for if we sin willfully you deliberately turn aside you deliberately break the sabbath you deliberately kill or commit adultery you deliberately lie or you keep on lying and deceiving and living a lie if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth there remains no longer a sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation 
which shall devour the adversaries. If anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the witness of testimony of two or three witnesses, how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant? See, this is another way of committing the unpardonable sin by deliberately sinning in this way, counted the blood of the covenant an unholy thing, a common thing, and insulted what the Holy Spirit insulted the Spirit of grace by doing those things. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Eternal. God will intervene. He will not let people get away with these things forever. As I've said, brethren, I have seen people turn on me or turn on Mr. Armstrong and try to do things that were just awful and lie and cheat and undermine. And so many of them died a very painful, horrible death, frankly, and had things happen to them that you could see God intervening. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It is a fearful thing. Yes, we have, we need to have, must have the fear of God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You're saying you're preaching the fear religion. Yes, you had better fear God in the right way. And we don't talk about it that strongly very often, of course, because we do not have the fear religion. We have a church. We love each other. We have all these wonderful opportunities. But we do need to get real. And we have people all through the church that do play these games from time to time. And I encourage all of you and all of you who may be doing those things. I don't know who all of you are, but examine yourself. Think about it. For your sake, not my sake, I want you to be in the kingdom of God. I'd like for you to be in that family of God. Don't play games with God. You just must not do it. Turn now to Revelation chapter 22, if you would. Revelation chapter 22, this time, the very last chapter in the Bible. Revelation 22 and verse 10. The angel said to John, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is at hand uh, and actually this is not an angel's this is Christ talking to him as you read it the time is at hand Revelation 22 now verse 11 he who is unjust let him be unjust still or near the end if he's not going to change well just go ahead and take your medicine he who is filthy let him be filthy still if you're a filthy person and won't change he who is righteous let him be righteous still he who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I am coming quickly. As you get toward the end, everything indicates in the Bible, you know, there will be disaster upon disaster. So things seem to be moving a little slowly to some people, but when these things start happening big time, it might be over very quickly within a very few years. And you need to realize that. I am coming quickly. That's Jesus' words. And my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work, according to how you live and what you do and what you produce. I am the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do, not just hear about, but do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs, sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, and idolaters, all those people, and notice, and whoever loves and practices a lie. 
We have a whole world filled with lies. My son David got us this uh, video the other night, and we were hearing it in our watching it in our home uh, called uh, "Expelled," and it showed how all these leading college professors who had PhDs and were leading professors in various major colleges, if they even put in some report to their superior or whatever as though they might in any way agree with or that you might consider the ideas of intelligent design or creation, you're expelled. They kicked them right out all through this society. This is a sick world. They say they want academic freedom. We've got to have freedom of discussion. We're open. The Obama administration says we have freedom of discussion. We'll just read the editorial page this morning. And they do not want freedom of discussion. They want to stamp out anything that goes contrary to their ideas, and they get rid of these people. It costs them their jobs. They're not the only one who's ever done that, but it's getting bad all through this nation, brethren. So we need to understand. We need to understand. Whoever loves and practices a lie, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. And whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. God is calling us to a wonderful eternity in the family of God. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. Don't water it down, God says. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Christ is coming quickly. We must get ready. We must go all out. Remember Jesus' statement, one of the fundamental statements in all the Bible when you understand it back in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seek those things above everything else. You want to be in the kingdom. You want to fulfill the purpose for which you God made us. And you want His righteousness. You trust that you're nicey-nice you know that God is not going to be able to use in His divine family and His government people who lie, who cheat, who water things down, and who play games. He will not do that. It will not happen. So seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness way beyond everything else. I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. The grace, the mercy, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So, brethren, learn to fear God in the right way. Learn to walk with God and talk with God and commune with God. Learn to try to honor God in everything you think and say and do and be conquered by God to where you say, God, my life is your life. My time is your time. My talents are your talents. Everything I have belongs to you, you see, and really mean it. Walk with God and walk over into God's kingdom through Christ living His life within you.